0: It was a larger-than-usual crowd for the teaching, and as it ended, a young man who had been coming to gatherings for a few weeks came toward the 21st century bodhisattva. Awkward as he approached, there was an underlying directness to him of which she took note. After exchanging pleasantries, he shared his concerns. I've been attending your teachings for a while now, and have to say most of what I hear resonates with me and is useful in some of the things in my life right now. But something is missing. There's this nagging question. What do I want? What do I truly want that I struggle with? The truth is, it's slippery. There are things and even some people I have in my life right now that no longer satisfy me. In fact, they often annoy and seem to confine me. And even when I think about changing them, there's nothing I can visualize pursuing that wouldn't be more trouble or effort than it could be worth. I find this is true with my work, my relationships, my entertainments, and just about everything else things that used to seem so easy, it has all become so challenging. I listened carefully to your teaching on impermanence and emptiness last week and thought for a while that a grasp of that might be helpful in finding an answer, but I couldn't get past wondering how anything that's empty could possibly be satisfying. Not only can't I get my arms around this, more and more there's a desperate sense I really need to figure it out in order to pull myself together. How can I know what I truly want when it's all changing at every moment, including my flip-flopping mind, the basis of my entire experience? He looked at the Bodhisattva with a wry smile. Do you have any advice for me? After a few moments, she began to speak. You bring to mind the 5th century monk, Bodhidharma, who when asked the question, Who are you? which I believe is akin to, What do I want? answered, I don't know. This was his answer to that question repeatedly wherever he went. It's interesting because when you truly and I say truly meaning only after honest investigation, don't know who you are, or as you say, know what you want, you can experience a wonderful, disentangling state of desirelessness, a state of being so free that many people actually become uncomfortable, even frightened about approaching it. You see, many of us feel very secure within our fetters. The man frowned, questioning as the Bodhisattva continued. There are some progressive steps in the process which I believe get us closer to a clear understanding of what we really want, which for most of us is simply to be satisfied, to experience the mind that arises through increasingly consistent well-being. At first, we don't know what we truly want because we really haven't thought about it very much. Many people find themselves in this stage, carelessly reacting to what is occurring around them, bouncing back and forth with very little guiding awareness or mindfulness of direction or path. Then, as we do begin to think about it, our thoughts emerge outward from a seeking to be satisfied sense of self with our habitual thinking filled with I want this or I want that or I want the other one etc desires erupt an unending array actually what we want and perceive we need is always swirling and then there's what we don't want remember aversion is also a desire But some practitioners eventually get beyond that. As they really think about their intentions from a vaster perspective, they come to the understanding that, well, no, I don't really want this or that. I might be satisfied with it for a while, and I wouldn't turn my nose up at it, but I don't think it's really what I want, nor is it anything I need. And why is this? Two reasons. First, we may find in some ways we already have access to the same essence we perceive our wants would bring. In other words, it's been there. We've had it all along. Second, we begin to doubt the for me benefits of what we want, because we're no longer sure of what or who we are. And many of us, most of us in fact, Never take the time to truly understand what we need to learn in order to know ourselves. She looked toward the man and spoke softly. A knife can't cut itself, fire doesn't burn itself, and light can't illuminate itself. Without making the effort to peer behind our own curtain into the backstage of our mind, we can only be a mystery to ourselves. This resonated for a few moments, and then the man asked, This aspect of my mind that is mystery, how do I get to know it? The bodhisattva answered, Careful investigation, honest introspection, and meditation lead us there, and not rejecting but embracing this I don't know when felt from the depths whispered deeply in the mind is the same thing as, I love, I don't try to force or control. It brings a spacious and increasingly fearless humility. You see, the Buddha taught that when we cease grasping for control, we're able to emerge from the confusion of insecurity that causes clinging. And when we cease to cling, we break through to a tremendous source of clear strength and energy, that which arises from our own mind. It's the nectar of awakening now flowing through all we are. We've habitually been blocking it, wasting energy in many forms of continuous self-defense. The moment we stop doing that, it's all there for us brilliant and empowering. And who we thought we are and what we thought we want becomes completely meaningless, nothing more than tired labels and concepts of control, the fodder of long-held stubborn limitations. This is what's meant by the Dharma slogan, the more we surrender, the more we have. Feeling stirrings of understanding, the man looked down at the bodhisattva's folded hands, hesitated for a moment and said, I believe I hear what you're saying and it sounds wonderful, but but I don't think I have the courage to give my desire for control away. The bodhisattva smiled. Of course you don't. Not yet. From our ordinary vantage point, very few do. But please consider that need for control to be nothing more than a blockage to the richness of your mind, a dead end. Grow tired and bored of it. Allow it to cease. The Buddha's great teachings on impermanence speak to this. Everything, including each of us, is merely occurring, a transitory happening. In the nature of ongoing occurrence, It and we are all moving moment by moment through the unstoppable process of aging, maturing, decaying, and ultimately falling apart. This perspective into the workings of compositional arisings, of which everything is an aspect, is foundational in Buddhist thought and practice. I believe your spending some time with it will be of assistance to you. The fact that everything is in flux, always changing, coming together, and falling apart, this is your helper. It reveals that you don't have to try to let go because there's really nothing so enduring that it can be held on to. This is the natural process. See it. You don't have to become anyone new, do anything dramatically different, or go to a foreign country or culture to see it. It is in play everywhere you are. The dance of the forces of dependent origination and impermanence. It is the ongoing reality in which you, nature, and everything else are interdependently encompassed. You merely have to know it. When you attain this view from the inside, not as a spectator, but as a participant, everything changes you suddenly find you have strength, an enormous torrent of energy, astoundingly deep and powerful. It is an energy of love and kindness, compassion and equanimity, great patience, generosity, and moral certitude. It's not one day found and hooked into, but was always there, resident in your mind, just waiting to be uncovered and experienced. It blossoms along with a deep sense of confidence and understanding. You'll intuitively trust it and it will always be there for you. There's nothing magical about this. It will not immediately remove all your conflicts by erasing troublesome situations, but will guide and empower you to resolve them in the most virtuous and healthy of ways. As is the case with all significant evolution, there may initially be some doubt or uncertainty, but it will vanish as morning dew disappears in the sun's warmth. You'll no longer question or wonder about yourself. You'll know this is who you truly are. Trust that it is there, dwelling, native to your mind, your natural self, ready to arise. This was Siddhartha's great discovery on the evening of his enlightenment. Enough had been said. Sensing he had been led to a very revealing path with a smile of gratitude and sure movement, the young man thanked the 21st century bodhisattva and took his leave. This recording, peering into our minds backstage, was written by Mark Winwood. Mark is the founder of the Chenrizig Project, a Tibetan Buddhist study and practice group currently resident in Colorado and with a national online presence. My name is Kathy Ambrose. You can learn more about the Chenrizic Project at www.chenrizicproject.org. That's C-H-E-N-R-E-Z-I-G project.org the background music, titled Tipping Point, was composed by the San Francisco Bay Area musician Bobby Vega in collaboration with guitarist Chris Rossback and appears on their 2005 album titled Bobby Vega and Chris Rossback. You can learn more about Bobby and his music at his website, www.bobbyvega.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-V-E-G-A dot com. Or, as he's very findable online, you can simply Google his name or look for his numerous videos on YouTube. We remain grateful to Bobby for his friendship, his talents, and his generosity in sharing his beautiful music with our listeners please feel free to share the link to this with those you feel it might resonate. Again, my name is Kathy Ambrose. Thank you for listening.